You're listening to the sermon podcast of Galveston Bible Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit galvestonbible.org. But mostly, from wherever you're listening, we hope that the Lord ministers to you through this week's message. Uh, As we prepare to hear from God's Word, let's uh, pray. Father, we thank and praise you for who you are. You are uh, holy, holy, holy. And I pray, God, that we would truly stand in awe of you. I pray that as we open your word today, as we hear from you, that we would tremble. Um, And I pray, God, that you would speak to us, uh, that you would engage our hearts, Lord, and that you would change our thinking uh, to be more conformed to your thinking uh, and our actions, that we would reflect uh, what you want uh, in our lives. And we just pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so I want to start off by saying this. uh, Don't call me. Don't text me, and don't ask me any church-related questions tomorrow, or most Mondays, for that matter. And the reason is, is because I will be resting, okay? Um, I uh, am employed at this church, and I, uh, I think I work hard uh, during the week uh, preparing sermons and Bible lessons and meeting with people and training people, uh, but I need rest. And so I take weekly rests. Jesus said this, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. That's a beautiful and wonderful invitation that is given to us by our creator and our sustainer. The one who created everything and the one who sustains everything. Today, originally, I had planned on going into Ephesians 4. Last week, we finished Ephesians chapter 3, uh, which was the, our position in Christ, and we we're going to go into our practice in Christ and the commands for unity and all sorts of things. But uh, over the last couple of weeks, as I looked out over the congregation, as I've had many, many conversations with people, I realized that there's a lot of people in this church, and I would imagine every church, that are just plain tired they're exhausted, they're worn out, and they take little to no time, or they make little to no time for rest. The Bible, uh, what the Bible calls a Sabbath rest. What I want to do at the beginning is I just want to remind you, I don't think you need this reminder, but it's always good, you are not God, okay? You are not God. You are a human being, and as a human being, you have limitations, you have severe limitations. And so today we're going to talk about rest. Uh, that's what we're going to do. And as I thought about this, I'm going to preach this sermon today, and I'm probably going to preach a very similar sermon uh, at the end of the summer. Um, I know that the summer is a lot of times where people can, you know, they pull back from their normal uh, plans, uh, and maybe you find a little bit more time to rest. I want to give you some time to start to implement some of the stuff that we have talked about, and then hit you again at the end of the summer to say, are you actually putting these things into practice? Especially the students. uh, We have been blessed to have a lot of students, and just to say, are you taking time to rest uh, throughout the week? And so just want to encourage you. All of us need to hear this message. My desire is that you would actually listen today, uh, that you would pray and say, God, what are you trying to tell me? And that you would actually put these things into practice that we're going to talk about uh, today. Okay, so we're going to begin in uh, Genesis chapter 1. It is the very first book and chapter of the Bible, which is wonderful because this is where this uh, uh, God talks about rest. 
All right, so I want you to turn there if you can. Uh, the situation is that God has created the heavens and the earth. He's done it in a space of six days, okay? And I'm not going to read all these verses. I'm going to read a single phrase from many of these verses. It's a repeated phrase. It's the refrain that happens after every single day of creation. It begins in verse 5 of Genesis chapter 1. It says this, God called the light day and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning the first day and then skipping down to verse 8 after finishing creating on the second day we have this refrain and there was evening and there was morning the second day skipping down to verse 13 and there was evening and there was morning the third day verse 19 and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day Verse 23, and there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And then skipping down to verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. And then moving into chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, here's what we read. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. What you notice in these uh, first two chapters is you see the, in, in uh, Genesis chapter 2 is you see work and rest. Work and rest. The reason that I read the refrain from uh, the end of all of those days of creation is that there is a pattern that God himself established in the very beginning, even before the fall, and that was a pattern of work and rest. Work and rest. Work, contrary to popular belief, is not a result of the curse, okay? It's not a result of the curse. Now, you may, may be thinking you've never been to my work, right? You would know that it's part of the curse, right? No, it is not a part of the curse. You struggle because of the curse. You struggle because of sin entering into the world. But you and I were created to work. And we're, we were created to work hard. And we will also do so throughout all of eternity. Do you realize that? You do realize that we are not destined to sit on a cloud strumming a harp for the rest of eternity, right? No, we were created to work and that's what we will do. In fact, we end up on a renovated earth, a recreated earth. And I believe that during that time, we will continue to build, we will continue to discover, we'll continue to create art and music and do everything that God intended us uh, for us to do. So work is good, but rest is also good. And what we see in these first two chapters of Genesis is a pattern of work and rest. Uh, we see it in that repeated phrase, and there was evening and morning the nth day, okay? Now, notice that it doesn't say there was morning and evening the first day, morning and evening the second day. It says evening and morning. So I want to ask you this question. What happens typically between the evening hours and the morning hours? What is it? Sleep, rest, right? Sleep. Our bodies, we lay down on our beds and our bodies shut down. 
And so I don't want to be too crass about this, but it's almost picture this. God gets up in the morning on Sunday morning, the first day of the week, and he punches his uh, time card and he goes to work. And then when he's done at the end of the day, he punches out and then he goes home and he rests. Okay, that's literally not what's happening, right? But we see that God works and then he rests. There's evening and there's morning. Then God gets up and he works and he rests. And then there's, and then he goes home and he rests, Okay not going home, but once again, you know what I'm saying. And then he takes one day at the end for complete and total rest. And what we see from this is that rest is essential to being a human being. It's what we need. And God in his goodness is establishing that pattern. Think about Jesus. Jesus as the son of God, God in the flesh, comes, he takes on human flesh and he rests. We see him many times in the gospels, pulling away from the crowd, getting away alone and resting. We see even at one time he's in a boat in the middle of a storm and he's in the bottom of the boat and he's sound asleep. They can't even wake him up. He's completely out. He is resting. And here's what I want to say. If Jesus needed rest, then you can bet that you and I need rest as well. So today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about what is rest we're going to talk about the importance of rest, and then I'm going to end by giving some practical suggestions about how, if you are not involved in rest right now, you can actually uh, start to build that into your life, okay? So let's talk and define what rest is. The Hebrew word that is used in Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 for rest is shavat, which means to cease, all right, to rest, uh, to desist from labor, Okay. The main word that's used in the New Testament means a similar thing. It means to make, to cease, uh, to cause, to rest. Okay. For a further explanation of this, I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 of Genesis and then Exodus chapter 20. Uh, if you hear that reference, you may be familiar with it. This is the giving of what is known as the Ten Commandments, the law of God. Okay. And we're not going to read these all. We're just going to focus in on the fourth commandment. Okay, Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 8. Here's what it says. This is God speaking to his people. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. And then here's the reason that he gives. And I want you to listen to this because we're going to read later in Deuteronomy where a different reason is given for observing the Sabbath. He says this, For in six days the Lord made the earth, the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay, so first thing I want you to notice is that he says, remember uh, the Sabbath day. So there's a dual uh, 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 meaning here. First of all, remember that God has given you one day in seven. Every week, this is coming. Remember that God has given to you. But it's not just enough to remember, right? Implied in it is that you will actually put it into practice, right? Uh, remembering one's anniversary is not enough, right? Hey, Honey, I realize it's our anniversary today. 
Okay, so what are you going to do about it, right? I mean, there's some actions that, that should come from that. And so remembering the Sabbath day is, yes, you remember that, but actually engaging in the Sabbath day, how will you then respond as a result of that? So we can have some very good and godly conversations and truthful conversations about the Sabbath and about rest, but until you actually engage in rest as God has commanded, you're not actually obeying the commands of God, okay? Now, the problem that we face with this command here in uh, Exodus chapter tw uh, 20, this uh, fourth command, is that God never really defines what work and rest is, okay? He doesn't say, hey, I'm going to list all these things. This is work, blah, 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 blah. This is rest, da, 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 da. He doesn't do that. And so we have to kind of figure it out for ourselves. Now, uh, he hints at it, like work is, you know, getting out into the field and plowing your field and stuff like that. But he doesn't give much uh, information uh, after that. So according to the scientific definition of work, um, work would be literally, if I took this iPad from this podium and put it here, that's work, okay? Um, if I pick up anything and take it from one place to the other, that's work. And according to the biblical definition of rest, I am to cease from all work, okay? So literally, I cannot pick up a toothbrush in the morning. I cannot get my clothes on in the morning if I'm going to be technical in regard to work. Is that what God's talking about? Am I violating the Sabbath day if I do any kind of work like that? And obviously, no, I don't think that we are. In fact, uh, because God's definition of work and rest were so vague, what happened is that the religious leaders of Jesus' time, by the time Jesus came on the scene, is that they took it upon themselves to define what work and rest was. And they had a whole huge list of what you could and could not do on the Sabbath day. And it became very oppressive to the people. They had a lot of bizarre rules, if you ever look at that, up to including how far you could actually walk on the Sabbath day. And if you walked one step further, you were breaking the Sabbath there. And so uh, they took it to uh, the nth degree. So we need to ask the question is, so what is work and what is rest? And I want to be very, very careful here because I do not want to go into a pharisaical type of uh, determination and saying, hey, here's exactly what you as the church can do on the Sabbath day and here's what you cannot do. Actually, about 15 years ago, I heard a sermon. It was literally an hour and a half sermon. And it was basically, here's what you can do. Here's what you can't do. I will not do that. I'm not going to be your conscience. Uh, this is between you and God. Okay. And so, uh, but I do think that rest is very important. And I do believe that to a certain extent, God kept it vague so that we wouldn't get hung up on the details. So hung up on the details that we missed God's overall Point. And that's what we're going to be really trying to stress today is what is God's overall point? Not, nope, can't do this, can't do that, can't do this. No, but what is the whole purpose of God commanding rest for us? In Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 27, Jesus and his disciples, they were walking through a grain field and they became hungry. So they picked some of the ears of grain and started to rub them in their hands and then eat them. And the Pharisees looked at them and say, said, you're breaking the Sabbath day. You're harvesting on the Sabbath day. And Jesus, he, I love him. I'm obviously, he, would never, he didn't have any of it, right? And he said this uh, in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. We're hungry. We need to eat. 
We're going to eat. This is completely legal to walk through someone's field and to pick some grain enough for you to eat. You couldn't harvest it. You couldn't take bushels of it home, but you could take enough for you to eat. So they were doing nothing wrong there. Okay. Sabbath day rest uh, was made for man so that he could actually rest. And if we're not careful, um, then we can become so meticulous about what we can and cannot do that the Sabbath, that our rest, uh, the Sabbath day rest actually becomes a day of stress rather than a day of rest. And so we want to be very careful here. Here's what I think the bottom line is, okay? And I'm just going to tell you, this is not going to be an extensive study on the Sabbath, okay? Because the point is, I really want you to say, what does God, what is God's intention uh, when he talks about rest? And so here's what I be believe the bottom line is. During the week, um, our bodies and our minds get tired. And because they get tired, they need rest. They need to be turned off from that normal routine of work and they need to rest. So we need to rest from our usual routine of work. And if I understand God's intentions with this command, that I believe that in order to properly keep the Sabbath, we need to cease from that work which brings in a paycheck and also from that work that uh, causes any kind of stress or anxiety in our lives, okay? That's what I believe is God's point here. For example, and I'm just going to give some examples, and I know that these don't apply across the board, but if you're involved in mental work all week, okay, uh, studying for exams, uh, maybe sitting in front of a computer crunching numbers or analyzing data or in a lab, you know, uh, seeking out viruses and how they work and stuff like that, then rest for you may involve um, something physical where you're resting your mind and you're actually exercising your body, maybe getting out and walking, maybe getting out and running and exercising, maybe coming home and, and gardening, right? Doing something with your hands. You've been in front of a computer all week and now you just want to come home and garden or mow the grass. I remember when uh, we lived in a place where I was cutting the grass, it was therapeutic for me to get out there um, and to do that. So maybe that's the way that you rest or maybe going in the workshop, building something out of wood or painting or something like that, something that uh, you enjoy. Just those mindless activities. And once again, I'm not saying that mindless is, you know, if you're mowing or whatever, but it's just nice to turn your mind off there and give your mind a break and your body maybe some um, needed movement. On the other hand, let's say that you work as a landscaper all week, hauling trees and bushes and trimming them and, and then um, cutting grass. Rest for you would not include that. And I don't want to do that on my day off. It might actually involve maybe some more mental work, like picking up a book that's a little bit more detailed and exercising your mind a little bit and giving your physical body, your muscles, a rest at that time. Okay? Um, so you might even ask yourself, what would rest look like for me? If I had a day off, what would that look like to actually rest my mind and rest my body. And you might determine, I rest my mind most of the week. Um, so what would, it mean, what would it look like to actually uh, rest in, in a different way? Okay, so uh, that's a starting point uh, for entering into uh, a rest for our bodies and minds. That all deals with our physical bodies and our physical minds. What about our souls? 
What about our souls? I believe that we should find time each week to refresh our souls. Here's my question. What does your soul need? What does your soul need? And the answer is always your soul needs its creator. Your soul needs God. That's what your soul needs. So how do you refresh your soul? You refresh your soul by going into the presence of God. Okay? So uh, in this life, our souls can become very weary with all of the stresses, all of the things that are crashing in around us, all the cares of the world. And we need to take time to pull away from it all. Okay? Uh, All of these stresses and concentrate on God who alone knows us the best and can bring refreshing to our souls. So part of your Sabbath rest, okay, must include time in the Word of God and in prayer. Part of your Sabbath rest must include time in the Word of God and prayer. Now this is a challenge for me, and here's why I'm going to say this is a challenge. Because I am in the Word of God every day, preparing sermons and preparing uh, different Bible lessons or uh, people are asking me questions and I'm searching out the Word of God. Therefore, on my Sabbath rest, when I take rest, what that means for me is I am not looking at the Word of God in terms of how I will share it with you to refresh your soul. I am looking at the Word of God and I'm concentrating on my soul. Not what does GBC need to hear this week, but what does Jason specifically need to hear this week? What can refresh my personal soul this week? And so I need to concentrate there. And so you need to ask this question. At the end of your week, when you're coming to your rest, you need to ask this question, what does my soul need right now? What does my soul need right now? So let me give you a couple examples. Let's say that this week, your sins of the past, those things that you struggle with just were just reared their ugly face and you sinned over and over again. And now you're wondering if you're even a Christian. You're wondering if God even loves you, right? Gosh, I can't be a Christian. There's no way. Does God really love me? Your Sabbath day rest should include looking at scriptures that talk about God's love for you. That talk about him rejoicing over you with loud singing. That say stuff like, uh, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What shall separate me from the love of God? Nothing will separate me. You take the time to say, my soul needs this. It needs to be with my creator. I need to be reminded, God, I need you to speak. I need your spirit to testify with my spirit that I am your child. That's what my soul needs right now. And that's what you should be concentrating on. Or maybe this, right? Maybe you've watched a whole lot of news this week and you've seen the different political developments that have taken place and you've heard some of your favorite or not so favorite senators talking and you're just angry, right? And you're bitter and you're hateful, right? And you start to feel this hate welling up in you. What does your soul need right there? Okay. Or maybe you look at your paycheck and you're quite happy with it, or you're thinking about a promotion that you might get and you're thinking, and you're tending to become a little bit more materialistic now. And you're thinking, once I get this promotion, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to Here's what I'm going to do. So when you come to your Sabbath rest at the end of the week, what you're thinking is this, how has my soul drifted away from God? How have I become unlike, uh, more like the world and less like God? Where have I drifted? That's where I need to concentrate now. I need to reorient my life right now. I've been pulled in this direction, hatred, bitterness, anger, materialism, doubt, whatever it is. How do I reorient my soul right 
now. And that should dictate where you go in the Word of God and what you spend time praying about. God, man, I've become materialistic. Please push my heart back into communion with you. Help me to see things properly. I also want to say this, that this is also done in community. It's done in community. It is done alone. You need to get alone by yourself with no one else, but you also need to be in community at times as well. Uh, You need your brothers and sisters who can help and encourage you in your walk with Christ. Sunday mornings are a great time to do this, what we're doing right now. We're coming together. We're being refreshed by the word of God. We're being hopefully encouraged. We're opening up to each other and saying, this is what I'm struggling with, and hopefully hearing counsel from others. I'll pray for you. Hey, look at this. Here's what you should concentrate on. Sunday mornings are a great time. Sunday evenings are a great time. We have a, a life group where we come together and we, uh, we study the Word of God and then we pray together as well. Okay? So let's talk about the importance of taking time every week or every day for rest and every week, um, uh, extended times every week. I already mentioned at the beginning that even before the fall, God established a pattern of work and rest. He worked uh, rest right into it because it's important. Added to that is you know your body, um, and our physical bodies have limitations. They just have limitations. You can only run so far. You can only stay up so late until your body literally starts to shut down. And so we need rest. Rest for us is important. It's important. It's so important to God that it actually made his top 10 list of things, right? His top 10 commands. In our fallen condition, it's amazing to me, but God has to command rest, right? In our fallen condition, God has to command rest because if he didn't, we wouldn't probably know that we need it. Uh, We and those around us and perhaps people who are employed with us and we wouldn't employ it. We wouldn't uh, take that needed rest and we would work ourselves seven days a week to an early grave. Many uh, forget to take that needed rest until it's too late and they literally end up in the hospital with depression or with, with anxiety or high blood pressure or a nervous breakdown. I've, I've met those people. I've talked to those people. They're just going and going and going. God commands uh, for us to rest. And God's command for our rest is not to hinder us. It's not to hold us back. It's actually to help us. It's for our flourishing. And it's there. It's commanded for two main reasons, okay, uh, that I can think of. First, because our, uh, it helps It keeps our mind and our bodies healthy. We just talked about it. It keeps our mind and our bodies healthy. And then the second thing is because it helps us to keep our trust in God. And we'll talk about that in a second. As I mentioned before, when you're not well rested, you set yourself up for medical issues, medical problems. And you become a person really that no one else wants to hang around with, right? You're angry, you're bitter, you're just frustrated. How many times have you or someone else snapped and then you're like, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just so tired, I'm just so exhausted, uh, I'm, just, I'm just so overwhelmed with life. Exercising, biblical rest as God prescribes will help to minimize those times. Forcing ourselves to rest will also keep our trust in God. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, many people tend to be what are known as workaholics, 
Okay, work, 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 work. Um, some do it just to keep ahead, right? Just to keep their head above water. Others uh, do it to get ahead of others, to climb the corporate ladder. Uh, and what they do very often is they, they calculate what is needed in order to just keep their head above water or to move up the corporate ladder. And then they look at rest and rest does not figure into their calculations. There's no way that I can stop. There's no way that I can rest and take this day off. I need to keep working through um, every day of the week, okay? When billionaire Bill Gates was asked uh, why he didn't believe in God, here's what he said. Uh, Just in terms of allocation of time, resources, religion is not very efficient. There's a lot more I could be doing on a Sunday morning. There's no way I could take that time off. Man, there's money to be made, and I'm not going to waste that opportunity. And so many of us can fall into the erroneous thinking of this. If I rest, I'm going to fall behind. If I rest, if I put my books aside for a day, I'm going to fall behind in my class, and I'm going to fail, right? Or if I, if I take a day off of work, then the person who's not taking a day off of work is going to run right past me. And they're the ones that are going to get that promotion. They're the ones who are going to climb the corporate ladder. This kind of thinking shows little to no trust in God. It shows little to no trust in God. Remember this. This is what I want you to remember. God is in complete control. He's in complete control of everything in the world, including the promotions that are handed out at work. He's in complete control. Do you actually think, actually think that God is going to punish you or withhold that promotion from you because you obeyed him as if God's going to say oops guess you shouldn't have taken all those days off of rest that I told you to my mistake no God is in complete control if you work hard if you're obedient to God including taking a, a, a time to rest and you don't get that promotion it's because God has looked and said it's not what's good for you it's not what you need at this time and I'm actually saving you from something. God is in control. Those who refuse to take rest because they fear that they'll fall behind in the end are not really trusting God. I think of the time of Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah, the wall has just been uh, rebuilt. The, the people are back in the land um, and they're seeking to observe uh, the commands of God. And then on the Sabbath day, there's a bunch of merchants who are coming into the city and they're selling their goods. And what does Nehemiah do? He shuts the gate. He locks the gate. And he says, no, no, no. And you're just thinking, Nehemiah, do you realize all the revenue that you're losing? Do you realize all the, 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 the stuff, that, the, the money that we could be making on this day? Why would you shut it down? It didn't matter to Nehemiah because obedience to God was more important than any kind of material possessions. Nehemiah trusted God to provide. In order to make another point, I want you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5, you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We looked at Exodus chapter 20, which was the first giving of the law uh, at Sinai, okay? Uh, And then... uh, 40 years, 40 plus years have uh, transpired and the people, because of their rebellion, they were uh, not allowed to go into the land. And so Moses is giving the law again 
uh, as they're getting ready to go into the promised land. And so we have the Ten Commandments again, and most of them are just identical as in Exodus chapter 20. But here in the fourth command, there is a different reason given. Remember at Sinai in Exodus chapter 20, the reason was given for, uh, for keeping the Sabbath day uh, was that for six days, the Lord created the heavens and the earth and the seventh day he rested and he made it holy. He gives a different reason here in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 5, verses 12 through 14. He says this, you shall remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Okay, that's different. As I said before, there's a new twist. And what I want to do right now, I usually don't do this, is I want to uh, quote from an author extensively who I think his insights are great on this. I think they're spot on and they're very applicable to us. So talking about the difference between the Exodus 20 passage and the Deuteronomy chapter 5 passage and that little difference, here's what he says. Here, nothing, this is in here in Deuteronomy, nothing is said about creation. Instead, the Sabbath command is grounded in the story of the Exodus. At Sinai, that's Exodus 20, the Sabbath is an art form. It's about tapping into the rhythm of creation. In Deuteronomy, the Sabbath is an act of defiance against Pharaoh and his slave drivers. At Sinai, it's a way of saying yes to God and his worlds. In Deuteronomy, it's a way of saying no to Egypt and its system. At Sinai, it's an invitation to join God in his delights. In Deuteronomy, it's a warning to stay away from Egypt's way of life. Why in the world would Moses need to warn ex-slaves not to go back into slavery? Because Israel was prone to amnesia. We all are. It's easy to forget the past. And so the Sabbath is a memorial. At Sinai, it looks back to Eden. But in Deuteronomy, it looks back to Egypt. And Egypt is somewhere you never want to go back to. In Egypt, the Hebrews were slaves. Slaves don't get a Sabbath. Slaves are something less than human, a commodity to buy and sell. They only have value in what they produce. They work all day, every day, until they die. Rest isn't an option for a slave. Rest is a byproduct of freedom. No freedom, no rest. Language about endless work and restlessness is strung all throughout the Exodus story. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, complete the work required of you for each day, just as you had before straw. Pharaoh called the people lazy. Pharaoh is relentless. This quasi-image of the sun god Ra is a tyrant, ruthless and cruel. No matter how much you produce, it's never enough. You live under the ominous shadow of daily quota, more more, more. And it wasn't just Pharaoh screaming for more and more. It was the economic system of Egypt as a whole. Israel wasn't just making bricks. They were making bricks to supply, to build supply cities. Entire cities for Pharaoh and his oligarchy to store their extra stuff. Egypt's, Egypt was just relentless in this. There was never enough bread, enough wine, enough goods, enough services, enough bricks. It was a system of more. When I read that, I was thinking this sounds a lot like America. It sounds a lot like us as well. 
working, working, working to make more, to make more, to make more, to store up more, more, and more. It's a lot of the way that we think. We think, I can't rest. I need to produce more. We don't trust in God. We don't believe that when he says rest, that he will take care of us, that he'll provide. I want you to turn quickly to Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25. Verses 1 through 5. I want you to see God's command to his people here. Because even when they're entering into the land, he's like, I'm going to give you one day and seven, but I'm also going to give you a, uh, the land a weekly rest as well. Uh, or a yearly, or every seven years, I'm going to give the land a rest, implying that all the people and all the oxen will also rest on that day uh, and that year as well. And I thought about this as I was reading this, 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 this passage about God giving the land every seven years, the land a rest, uh, and, and God giving a Sabbath for the people every week. Think about those animals. Animals are, animal, are creatures of instincts. They respond uh, from what has happened to them in the past. They remember that. And I was thinking, there's no doubt that these animals were pushed and pushed and pushed to their limits. But the animals knew that in God's economy, that every week, I'm sure that they weren't calculating, but they're thinking, arrest is coming, arrest is coming. And I just thought that that was so great that God even cares about the animals. And he's saying, you're going to work and work and work and and you're going to get a rest as well. And so they're thinking about this. And if they live for any length of time, they knew that every seven years this rest was coming where they didn't have to get out of the pen or where they would be fed and everything uh, would be provided for them as well. Uh, but, but anyway, here's what we read in this passage. The Lord spoke to Moses uh, on Mount Sinai saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I will give you, uh, the land you shall keep, uh, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your fields, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruit. But in the seventh year you shall not. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vines. It shall be a year of solemn rest. For the land. And so when you're reading that and you're thinking, okay, this is really a command. Okay, we're coming up on the sixth year. We're coming up on the seventh year. What am I going to do for food in the seventh year? Well, he answers that in verses 20 through 22. He says this, and if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year if we may not sow or gather in crops? And here's what God says, I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. And when you sow in the eighth year, you'll be eating some of the old crop and you shall eat the old until the ninth year when its crop arrives. Here's what God's point is, okay? Rest, I've got this. Rest, I've got this. I'll take care of you. Unfortunately, Israel did not obey God's command to give the land a rest. They didn't trust God for this rest. They needed more, 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 more. God certainly didn't mean this when he said this. And so what did God do? He kicked them all out of the land. 
He kicked them all out of the land. In 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 21, it appears that they didn't observe God's Sabbath rest for the land for 490 years. And so God took 490, divided it by seven, and then he kicked everyone out of the land for 70 years. For 70 years. Here's what it says. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. It was God saying, okay, enough. Everyone get up and everyone get out. Everyone's going off to Babylon. I'll see you back here in 70 years. God takes Sabbath rest very, very seriously. And so should we. There's so much more that could be said, but I want to close with some practical suggestions uh, for application to help you uh, to take a time of rest and for you to help other people to encourage them along that uh, line as well. Here's my first suggestion. Um, This is, once again, this is just a suggestion. Go through your calendar. Go through your weekly and monthly calendar and start to scratch things off. Start to cut things off on that. Go through everything, everything that you do in a given week or a month and prioritize them and see how much time do I spend in each of these and how important are these things and then start to do some cuts, okay? Here's some stuff that you cannot cut out, okay? Here's some stuff that you cannot cut out. Weekly worship. The Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. This is not, hey, I'm too busy. First thing to go is going to be Sunday worship that's out. No, that's a priority. Another thing that you cannot cut out is work, employment, okay? All right, I need to rest. I'm going to quit my job. Nope. If you don't work, you don't eat. That's what the Bible says. We were created to work, okay? Another thing is you can't cut out family, right? You can't cut out family. Family is essential. You need to be spending time with your family. Uh, Another thing, a fourth thing, is the exercise of spiritual gifts. God has gifted everyone in his church. Every one of his followers is gifted in a certain way. You are to discover what your spiritual gifts are, and you are to actually employ those in the service of the church for the building up of the body of Christ. I need your gift. You need my gift. This is a not—you can't say, yeah, I'm gifted in this way, but I can't serve in this way because I need to rest. Okay, so those are non-negotiables, the, you know, the uh, uh, spending, uh, the worship, the employment, uh, the family, and the exercise of spiritual gifts. But here's what I'll say about those. The time that is spent in each can and should be determined. Okay, here's what I mean by that. Okay, should you work? Yes. Should you work 70 to 80 hours a week? I would say no. Okay, you need to work, but you have to put a limitation on your work. Okay, let's just talk about spiritual gifts. If you have a spiritual gift, should you be using it in the church? Yes, absolutely. Let me take the gift of teaching. Let's say that you're a tremendous teacher and people learn so much from you. And you're so good that people are like, I want you to teach on this day and this day and this day. Should you be exercising your spiritual gift? Absolutely. Should you be exercising it that much during the week? I would say no, no. Should you be exercising at 52 weeks a year? I would also say no. 
You need to take a break from it. You need to be asking, okay, God, here's what I'm doing. I have a spiritual gift of teaching. People are learning from me. I'm teaching twice a week right now. Is this what I should be doing or should I be cutting back? Because it's starting to cut into my family time. It's starting to cut into my rest. I'm not finding adequate time to rest. It's a good thing. Here's the, here's the thing that you need to know. A good thing can actually become a sin. Okay? We'll talk about that in a second. Also, here's what I want to say this. is just because a leader in the church comes and asks you to do something, you do not have to say yes. Okay? You do not have to say yes. Ultimately, you will answer to God. Right? What did you do at the time? Did you take, did you work hard? Did you take time for rest as well? I love the story um, about uh, saying no, um, about how important it is to say no uh, and learning that art. In Acts chapter 6, the apostles, they're out there and the church is growing and it's an amazing thing. And people are coming to Christ and with more people come more problems. And one of the problems that arose is that the widows, there was an increase of widows and they weren't being taken care of. And so the people came to the leaders of the church, the apostles, and they said, hey, you need to serve the widows. You need to serve the widows. And here's what the apostles said in Acts chapter 6. They said this, it's, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Notice that they're not saying that this is beneath us, right? They're saying we can't give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to do this duty. The apostles knew when to say no. And they said no to a very important and essential ministry. Okay? This is something that needed to be done in the church. But they also said, if we do this ministry, then our primary ministry that God has called us specifically to will suffer and we're not going to let that happen. So you, someone else needs to step up and care for the widows. Once again, it's not, this is beneath me. No, I have been called to do this and I'm not going to stop doing this in order to do that. Someone else needs to step up and do that so that I can continue to do what I'm doing. So you and I, we need to know when to say yes, and we need to know when to say no. And I want to add a little note here. There's this uh, statistic that goes around that says this, 20% of the people in any given church do 80% of the work, and 80% of the people in any given church do 20% of the work. I don't know if that's true. What I do know is that every church I've ever served in or been in, it's always hard to find volunteers always hard to find volunteers because I think some people have really learned the art of saying no and they say no to everything when they should start saying yes to some things and here's what I want to say about that your yes to ministry could actually open up the opportunity for someone who has continued to say yes to actually get the uh, needed rest that they need okay you may be preventing someone from burnout in the church because you said, yes, I will do this. I will volunteer. I will help in this ministry. And someone else is able to step back, get a rest, be refreshed, and then come back even stronger than they were before. Once again, there's so much more that could be said about this, but I only want to mention one more thing regarding the demographics of any church. Okay, with any church across uh, uh, the United States, you're going to find groups like single parents, and children who are, are caring for aging parents. What I want you to do, us, that we need to do as a church is we need to identify those people and say, how can I help them rest? 
How can I help them engage in a weekly Sabbath rest? And it might be, hey, I'll take your kids for a couple hours so that you can rest. Hey, I'll come and sit with your mom and dad for a couple hours so that you can get away, so that you can rest. We need to be encouraging people along those lines. Okay, so, <clears throat> uh, so let me give you some practical steps uh, as we begin to develop a pattern of work and rest. And these are just some basic observations. I'm gonna go through them quickly. First of all, this, determine what day works best for you uh, to observe a Sabbath rest. Okay, um, for most people, it'll probably be a Saturday or a Sunday. For someone like me, it, it's going to be a Monday, and I'll talk about that in a moment. Okay, so determine what's the best day for me to actually engage in a rest. All right, second thing is this, begin small. If you haven't done this before, please, please don't go big, right? I'm going to take 24 hours. I haven't done this in 10, 15, 20 years, but I'm going to take 24 hours completely off to rest. If you do that, I firmly believe, you know, maybe God is telling you to do that, and I don't want to say don't do it, right? But I firmly believe that you're going to be setting yourself up for failure. Just like someone who has not run 20 feet in the last 10 years is going to be like, I'm going to commit to 20 miles this week, right? I'm just going to get out there. I'm going to do it. No, you will set yourself up for failure. So begin small. Uh, here's some suggestions. You might say, you know what? All right, Saturday is going to be my day. And I'm going to set aside six hours from eight o'clock in the morning to two o'clock in the afternoon. I am going to put, I'm not going to open up any of my textbooks. I'm not going to check any emails. I'm not going to open up my work computer at all. I'm not going to think about that stuff. Setting aside that time. And then maybe you can build from there. Let me stop here again and just quickly say this. If you haven't done this before, I can almost guarantee that if you're going to start to implement these things, you will have a very hard time transitioning from work into rest. And I would imagine that your first couple of times you trying this, your mind will be all over the place. Within 15 minutes, you're going to be like, I just got to check emails. I got to check. Oh my goodness, I got a biology test that's coming up. I need to study for that. What am I doing right now? Why am I doing this? Your mind will go crazy. And I will just say, stick with it, stick with it. Because the more you discipline yourself for this purpose, the easier you'll be able to enter into that rest and you will look forward to it. And you'll say, I can put this all away. I'm just gonna trust God that he'll take care of that biology test. He'll take care of that stuff that I feel like I need to do right now. Okay, so just keep at it. Uh, eventually you will be able to rest. So let me just share, I just want to close uh, just by briefly telling you what my uh, Sabbath rest looks like. And this is a work in progress. And I'm not saying, hey, look at me. I'm just telling you this to hopefully give you some suggestions about, okay, what does this look like? Okay, thank you for telling me what yours looks like. So maybe this will help uh, me. Um, mine is on a Monday. Okay, that's why I said at the beginning, don't call me, don't text me, don't ask me any church-related questions tomorrow. Okay, that doesn't mean that you can't text me uh, for anything else, okay? But I do it on a Monday. I don't do it on a Saturday because Saturdays, um, I, I do some final prep for my sermons on Sunday, and that's work for me. And then Sundays, I don't do it on Sunday because well, Sunday is Sunday. It's my long day, all right, where I'm preaching uh, twice and then uh, meeting with uh, various people. So I do it on Sunday or on Monday, and what I do is I start to prepare on Sunday, for it. And what I will do to prepare for it is I will try to get all my busy work done. Uh, stuff that I don't want to do on my day off, like laundry and dishes and stuff like that. I'm like, I don't want this stuff laying around. I want to be able to completely rest. And so I'll kind of get that stuff 
out of the way, okay? Then on Monday, I will usually get up very early before the sun rises and I will take a walk on the seawall uh, so that I can see the sunrise because uh, I love seeing that. And what I do on that two-mile walk is I pray, okay? And I'll just be honest with you, I don't pray for any of y'all on that day, okay? This is my day off from you. I do pray for you guys on Tuesday and the rest of the week, but on that day, I pray for myself mostly, okay? And I pray for my family. Those are where my prayers are concentrated, okay? So I'll spend time praying. I'll try to get back in time to see my kids off to school during the school uh, year, and I will pray with them, and then I am off to the beach. I go to the beach, and I take a, uh, a lawn chair, that I can lay back in. I take a physical Bible. I take a pencil. Uh, I take my journal and I take music. And what I will do is I will arrive at the beach and I will, first of all, just take in the beauty of the waves and stuff like that. And then I will open up my Bible and I'll usually read a couple of Psalms. And I'm not doing any kind of deep study. I am just like, God, reveal your character to me right now. And then I might go into the Gospels and I'll read a little bit of the Gospels, but I'm not doing any kind of study. What does he mean by this or anything? I'm just reading it. Okay, and then I might journal a little bit or I'll sit there and I'll play either very soft, like kind of elevator Christian music, or I will just listen to the waves. And this is what I do personally, is I try to get my resting pulse rate down into the high 40s or the low 50s. Because for me, that is a sign that I am pushing aside all of the anxiety. There's nothing that's coming to my mind that's causing my heart rate to, to jump up. Sometimes I might even fall asleep because I'm so relaxed. When I get up from that time, I am very, very relaxed. I, I do that for about an hour and a half. Then I go home and I eat. And then I'll take about a, a 45 minute nap um, so that I can start to do some uh, scripture meditation and so that my mind is fresh. And so now I'll open up like one of the uh, uh, Paul's letters and I'll start to say, what does my soul need today? What, how have I drifted away from God? What doubts am I having? What, what anxieties do I have? How can I be reoriented right now? And I'll do that up until the time where I pick up my kids for uh, school. Uh, and then we'll come home and it's hamburgers and French fry day. Uh, I cook on the grill. We sit down as a family, we eat, and then we go in our different directions, come back later on in the evening and we spend time in the Bible and in prayer as a family. Uh, and then I might go to the park, watch some baseball games that I care absolutely nothing about, uh, but just like being out and then come home, uh, spend a little bit of time with my wife and then we're off to bed. So that's what my Sabbath day usually looks like. And once again, the only reason that I uh, bring that up is to say, hey, what does, how, can, how can I start this? And uh, what I do, I believe, is that I truly do rest. One of the things that I do is I avoid looking at any church emails on that day, uh, responding to any church inquiries, and I avoid at all costs watching the news, right? Because the news just raises my blood pressure. Uh, and so, but I do feel like I truly rest. And by the time Tuesday comes, I'm telling you what, I am ready and eager to get to work. Um, and so once again, just some uh, suggestions, just some things to get you thinking about that. And so this is what I want to say as we close, go ahead and rest because God's got this. Okay, go ahead and rest because God has got this. Let's pray. Father, we thank and praise you for uh, the fact that you love us so much that you have worked into our, our, our schedule, our daily and our weekly schedule, a time for rest. 
And I pray that we would truly, truly rest in you uh, and that uh, we would cast all of our anxieties upon you because you do, truly do care for us. And so, Lord, I just pray that as we reflect on what we've learned, uh, I pray that you would truly visit us and encourage us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Uh, amen.